Some of you may or may not remember uh, a game show called Truth or Consequences. It was a game show that was started in the 1940s and finished in 1988. It was on and off during those years. It was a show where the contestants were given a few seconds to answer a question correctly. And if they failed to know the truth, then they would end up suffering the consequences. Now, suffering the consequences on this game show meant that they would have to do some kind of embarrassing stunt or of some sort. And it was all fun and games. But in life, in life, there are serious consequences to not knowing the truth, the real and everlasting truth found in God's word. And so as we continue in our series in the Ten Commandments, we'll be focusing on Exodus chapter 20, verse 16, uh, which is the ninth of the Ten Commandments. And I would encourage you to open up your Bibles with me or one of the church Bibles to Exodus chapter 20, where I will start reading at verse 1. This is found on page 77 in the church Bibles. Exodus chapter 20, again, starting at verse 1. This is God's holy, infallible, and life-giving word. This is the word of the Lord. Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. The Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, and today's verse we're looking at is, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. May the Lord bless the reading and hearing of God's holy word. Would you please pray with me? Oh, Father God, again, we come this morning to worship you in, in spirit and in truth. We pray, Lord, that nothing 
would distract us from this this morning. We pray, Lord, that you'd, your spirit would speak through us, through your word, Lord, that you would help us to have eyes to see and ears to hear what you have for us today, that we would go home transformed further into the image of Jesus Christ. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, as we begin to look at God's word this morning, we'll be examining the truth about lying. We'll be looking at the truth about lying. The ninth command is about testifying falsely. It is a command against testifying falsely. And, and testifying falsely, put simply, is telling lies. It's, it's telling lies. And, and as we begin to up, uncover this command for us today, it might seem pretty straightforward. Stop lying, right? We're done. Dismissed. But as we look at the language of this command, it, it, it speaks of bearing witness. When, we, when a person is summoned to come to court and to testify, they're summoned to be a witness and to tell the truth about what they know. In fact, when you're at court, in law court, you, you're, you're often sworn in, and we have seen people put their left hand on the Bible and raising their right hand saying that they will tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. So here in the United States, the judicial system at least traditionally has this desire to, to, to seek the truth. Testifying or bearing witness in a courtroom setting, however, is taken very seriously. In fact, if you're summoned as a witness in a court and you lie under oath, this is called perjury and it comes with serious consequences. In Deuteronomy chapter 19, it speaks about the importance of a witness and the seriousness of the crime of being a false witness. It says a single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only the on the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses shall a charge be established. If a malicious witness, a, a false witness, arises to accuse a person of wrongdoing, then both parties to the dispute shall appear before the Lord, before the priests and the judges who are in office in those days. And the judges shall inquire diligently. And if, and if a, the, false, the witness is false, and the accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him as he meant to do to his brother. And it says, so you shall purge the evil from your midst, and the rest shall hear this and fear, and shall never again commit any such evil among you. If only they listened. But despite this command and the seriousness of the consequences, people still testify falsely. In fact, later on in, in uh, Kings, 1 Kings chapter 21, we see that King Ahab is there and he, he wants his neighbor Naboth's vineyard. So that's coveting, by the way. When you're looking at somebody else's stuff that they have and you want it, that's coveting. But Naboth, he refused to sell it to the king. And, and after Naboth refused the king, the king went home kind of sulking. And his wife, the wicked queen, queen Jezebel, she decided to take things into her own hand. And she hires what the scriptures say are two worthless men 
to be false witnesses. And they lied under oath saying that Naboth did something that he did not do. They said that Naboth had cursed God and the king. And so Naboth, because of these false witnesses, Naboth was falsely convicted for his crime, and then he was taken outside of the city gates, and he was stoned to death. So in this passage, we are able to see the atrocity of someone testifying falsely against their literal neighbor, the king and his literal neighbor. Yet testifying falsely against your neighbor is much more than just your person who lives next door, right? It, the, the issue of who is your neighbor was brought up in the Gospel of Luke chapter 10, uh, where a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test, and he said to Jesus, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to him, Well, you're a lawyer. What is written in the law? How do you read it? And the lawyer answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But the lawyer desiring to justify himself said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Because he didn't want to do that. And then Jesus shared with him the parable of the Good Samaritan. If you're not familiar with that parable, go back and look at that after church today. But our neighbor is, is anyone that God places in our lives. Our, our neighbor could be our brother or our sister, right? Those might be the toughest neighbors to love, if you had brothers like mine. <laughs> you know, uh, it could be your coworker. It could be the people at the grocery store or the person who cut in front of you at the grocery store, or those people at the Department of Motor Vehicles. <laughs> I don't know if it's been a long time since it's been there, but, and the people you sit with at church, the people you sit across from, or the people from upstairs and downstairs. The application to this command is not limited to just a courtroom setting or your literal next door neighbor. And, and when we testify falsely against our neighbor, we are testifying falsely against God, the one true God. This is a command to stop testifying falsely against God. We might think that we can lie to our brothers, our sisters, our coworkers, but we are lying to God. And there are serious consequences when we are testifying falsely against God. It says in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness, they suppress the truth. They suppress the truth. It says that these people know the truth about God for it says, for what has been made known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. His invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so that we are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Not only did they suppress the truth, right? Suppressing is just pushing it away. Suppressing the truth about God, it says that they exchanged the truth 
about God for a lie. They took the truth of what God is and they exchanged it for a lie and they served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Testifying falsely is, is suppressing the truth. It is exchanging the truth of God for a lie. And as we look at this commandment about testifying falsely or telling lies, it might conjure up thoughts of those who we, we think, that we know are liars, you know? Boy, we've been in a season of what many people would call liars on TV as they're trying to get elected. There are some people who would say that all politicians are liars. They say that the politicians will lie and say anything in order to get elected and do whatever they want. And I'm not personally condemning or supporting a particular uh, political party or politician for that matter. Um, there are also people who would say that all lawyers are liars. We got a lawyer up there. <laughs> if, if, we, if we look at the Bible, we see many examples of people who lied, beginning with Satan, the father of lies. He lied about the character of God and what God actually said and when he deceived Adam and Eve. And, and then Adam and Eve, they lied when they didn't confess to God the truth that they sinned against him. They just hid. They thought that they could hide from God. And we know about Cain. Cain lied about not knowing where his brother was, who he had just murdered. Abraham lied about Sarah not being his wife. And the list could go on and on. And yet as we point the finger at these either politicians or lawyers or these people we know in the Bible who are liars, we should really be pointing the fingers at ourselves and examining our own hearts. This commandment should, like the rest of God's commandments, should get us to examine our lives and our hearts. And if we are true to ourselves, we will say that we too are liars. That's hard, isn't it? The psalmist, however, declares in Psalm 116, verse 11, Psalm 116, verse 11, all men are liars. Romans chapter 3, verse 9 and following says, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have be together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. And I'm not saying that we are habitual liars although some are, but lying comes in many and various forms. And this commandment should cause us to be repenting of our lying. We should be repenting of lying. And instead of suppressing the truth, we need to acknowledge the truth, that we are liars. Acknowledging that we are liars, and again, not saying that you're a habitual liar, but we need to be acknowledging that we are liars. It, it means that at various times in our lives, we, we lie in various ways about various things. And we have already addressed the sin of perjury, right? Which is an outright falsehood. But there is also this lying in the form of slander or gossip. It is said that slander 
is a sin that is far too common in the church today. Many times we engage in slandering the character or of others, simply saying things that we know are not true. There's also gossip. It's that unnecessary bearing of information that may or may not be true, but is always harmful to the person who is being gossiped about. I once heard that if you wonder if something is gossip and whether or not you should repeat it, you should keep in mind the acronym THINK. So think of THINK. The T in THINK is, is it true? Before you speak, is it true? The H in THINK is, will it help? Help. The I is, is it inspiring? The N is, is it necessary? The K, is it kind? True, helpful, inspiring, necessary, and kind. It's kind of a quick think, right? Flattery is among the subtlest forms of deceit. Flattery. Flattery is saying things to a person's face that you wouldn't say behind their back. Many people will use flattery to get something. Daddy, you look so nice today. Can I have the, can I have the car keys? You know. Many times we use exaggeration, don't we? That's a form of lying, to, to make our stories sound more interesting. Perhaps some people use exaggeration when they're doing their taxes or when writing a resume for a potential job. Lying can also come in the form of making false promises. Sometimes people make promises that they have no intention of keeping or know that they cannot keep. This is a form of deliberately misleading people. Other forms of lying are, are stating half-truths. So if you say part of a truth, I guess that's okay, isn't it? No. Genesis chapter 37, we see Joseph's brother, brothers, they, they, they decide to sell him, right, to the Midianites. They kept his coat, right? They kept his coat, they dipped it in blood, they brought it back to their father and said, Father, look, we found his coat. Doesn't it look like your son's coat? They left out the pertinent part where they sold him. They wanted him to believe that he was killed by a wild animal. So half-truths. How about twisting the truth? Twisting the truth is another form of lying. Satan himself did this, didn't he, to Jesus when he was trying to tempt Jesus in the desert. Satan would quote scripture. How can you go wrong with that, right? Satan would twist scripture. He'd twist the truth. He would take things out of context in order to justify that he was tempting Jesus to do something. And when we examine our own hearts, sometimes we also will take scripture out of context for our own, to make ourselves look good and feel better. So when we examine our hearts, we need to see that there are perhaps many ways that we are being deceptive and need to repent before God. God's word tells us that we should confess and repent our sins before God. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 19, it's a wonderful promise. It's a good thing to remember and memorize. It says, if we confess our sins... 
He, namely Jesus, will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. King David writes out a wonderful prayer of confession and repentance in Psalm 51. It was after King David had committed adultery and, and lied among many other sins and he was confronted by Nathan the prophet. And David condemns this man. That man's awful. Nathan says, you are the man. And David then writes this prayer of confession this prayer of repentance and writes to God, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the innermost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. As King David confessed and repented of his sins before God, he knew that he would be forgiven, and, and so can we as we go before God with repentance and faith. As we are repenting of our many forms of lying, we begin to have an understanding of the truth. We begin to have an understanding of the truth of God's word. As we look at the Ten Commandments, these Ten Commandments are not by themselves. They are in the context of all of God's Word in the Bible. In Psalm 119, verse 160, it says, The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. God's Word is not just a collection of writings of men, as it says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of men, but men spoke as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. God's word is true because, as it says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, that all scripture is breathed out by God. These are God's words. And they're profitable for teaching and for rebuking and for correction and training in righteousness that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The entirety of God's word, the Bible, is trustworthy and true. So we can always trust and depend on the truth of God's word as Satan and the world will continue to try and sell us lies. They tell us lies, saying that God is dead. There is no God, they say. They lie about sexuality. They lie about what sin is and what sin isn't. The truth is that God is alive and sovereign over all creation. The truth is that God has fearfully and wonderfully created each one of us, male or female. The truth is that God created marriage to be for one man and for one woman for life. This is the truth of God's word. And there's many other applications we could make on that. But understanding the truth of God's word is also knowing and trusting that God is true. If this is God's word, it's about who God is and his character. God is true. Numbers chapter 23, verse 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Because of who God is in his character and attributes, he is unable to lie. Isn't that good? 
And Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 10 says, But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. He is the one true God. The world is telling us lies, saying that there are many gods. And that there are many different ways to get to heaven. Or, or some people are saying, oh no, all religions have the same one true God. That's wrong. That is a lie from Satan. Allah is a false god. Buddha is a false god, and so is every other religion. Jesus declares in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, Jesus says. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the way, not a way. Jesus is the truth, the only truth, and the life. There is no other way. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 22 states that Jesus committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. No deceit. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. For you were once straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. The truth about Jesus is that he is the truth. And when we examine the truth of Jesus in God's true word, we see that he was falsely accused, he was falsely charged, he was falsely convicted and falsely punished for our sins. If you look at the Gospel of John or any of the other Gospel accounts, but today the Gospel of John chapter 18, you would see a portion of this trial against Jesus. And in verse 37, we see that Pilate who was like the judge there, was questioning Jesus and said to him, saying, so you are a king? And Jesus responded, you say that I am a king, and for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into this world to bear witness to the truth. For this purpose I came into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And then Pilate says, what is truth? This is what the world's saying today. They say there is no truth. Truth is relative. Your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. Let us live peaceably. So Pilate said, what is truth? And then after he said this, at least he did speak the truth here. He said, he went back outside to the Jews and he said, I find no guilt in him because there was no guilt in him but they falsely condemned Jesus anyway Jesus came into the world to bear witness to the truth he came into the world to testify to the truth he came into this world telling the truth he came into the world telling the truth of the gospel the truth that we are all sinners King David declares again in Psalm 51, verse 5, Surely I was sinful 
at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. This is contrary to what much of the world believes. Most of the world, oh, what an innocent little child you have. Yet God's word states that we are sinful at birth even while we are in the womb. And this is because we are born with that sinful nature. No one needs to teach a child how to lie. Have you ever noticed that? We're learning that in CEF all the time. Brenda teaches our, our kids that. No one teaches you how to lie. They do it on their own. I was recently shown a video of a friend of mine who has a two-year-old child who had just eaten blue Play-Doh. Blue pieces, pieces of Play-Doh all around their mouth. And on this video, mommy says, did you just eat the Play-Doh? And the boy looks at mommy and goes, no, no. The evidence of the blue Play-Doh all around his mouth. He lies right to his mother, says no. And we are just like that two-year-old with the evidence of our sinful guilt all around our mouth and our heart. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 says, If we say that we have no sin, then we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We need to tell the truth to ourselves and to God that we are sinners. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We need to confess that we are sinners and that we need Jesus as our Savior. We need Jesus as our Savior because we cannot save ourselves. No one else can save us but Jesus. Only Jesus can save us from our sin because only Jesus is the one who has never sinned. He had no deceit in his life at all. In fact, he did everything right. There was no deceit found in his mouth. He alone perfectly declared the truth in love. Only Jesus could pay the penalty for our sin as he bled and died on the cross at Calvary. Only Jesus could conquer our sin, our sins of lying. Only Jesus could conquer that with his death and then when he rose again on the third day. Only Jesus can offer to save us from our sin and to give us the gift of eternal life. We need to come humbly before our God and tell him the truth that we are sinners and that we need him, that we need him to save us and we need to tell others the truth as well. Jesus said, everyone who is of the truth, everyone who is trusting in Jesus as the truth, listens to my voice. If we are trusting in Jesus alone as the only way, the only truth, the only life, then we will listen to his voice and we will obey him. And we will want to be helping others know the truth. We need to be helping Others know the truth. The world is full of lies and deception, following after Satan, the father of lies. We need to be rejecting the father of lies. We need to stop testifying falsely. We need to be repenting of our various forms of lying. We need to be understanding the truth of God's word and the truth of who God is. We need to be telling the truth. Zechariah chapter 8, verse 16 says, These are the things that you shall do. Speak the truth to one another. 
Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another and love no false oath. For all these things I hate, declares the Lord. We need to be telling the truth to one another in love. We need to be helping others to know the truth. One way of helping others know the truth is by praying for others. I don't think we think about praying as very powerful, but it's powerful and it's effective. We need to be praying for our family members who do not yet know the truth. We need to be praying for our, our neighbors, whether they're our next door neighbors or otherwise. We need to be praying for our coworkers, for the leaders of our community, our state, nation, around the world, that they may know the truth. We need to be praying for opportunities to invite others to hear the truth proclaimed here at Crossroads or another Bible-believing church. Maybe your neighbor, your relative, or friend, they might be willing to watch the service streamed into their living room because they're not comfortable coming through the doors and sitting in the pews of the chair, uh, church here. We are so thankful that we can stream the truth of the gospel to people all over the world. But not only should we be praying for those to know the truth and inviting others to hear the truth, proclaiming, but we should be also sharing the truth ourselves, personally. We should be sharing the truth of the gospel with others. We need to be sharing the truth of the gospel with others because they will suffer the consequences without it. One of the best things that I learned to do as a Christian was learning how to share the gospel truth with others. I learned with Evangelism Explosion there are many ways to do it. Uh, I would encourage you to attend some type of training if you don't know how to share your faith. There's actually a, a Share Your Faith workshop at one of our sister churches. Shabu Uman is leading that. Uh, we got an email about it earlier this week. It's at Grace and Peace Church, uh, Presbyterian Church in Royersford, Pennsylvania on Saturday, December 11th. If you want to learn more about that, speak to myself. An email again was just sent out about that. But if you're unable to go that day, and you want to be learning how to share your faith with others, speak to myself, speak to Pastor Mike, as we will help you to find another way of learning and how to share your faith. We have people who are going out on 69th Street sharing the gospel. They would love to have you go along throughout in the week. We also have training done through Child Evangelism, Child Evangelism Fellowship with Brenda Smith. And there are many ways that we can be helping others to know the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. These are ways that you can learn and grow. The truth of the scriptures tell us in Romans chapter 14, verse 10, that we will all stand before the judgment seat of God one day. Each one of us will have to give an account of himself before God, the one true God. We will stand before a just, perfectly just, and perfectly loving God who will demand the truth. As we stand in court on trial before God as our judge, the truth will come out that we are all sinners and that, we, that the punishment for our sin is death and separation from God in a place of torment and punishment for in hell. And that is what we all deserve, yet by God's grace, Jesus, our defense attorney, 
will stand in our place and he'll testify and he will take our punishment that we deserve if we put our trust in him and him alone. He will suffer on the cross and die for our sin. But not only that, he will give us his righteousness so that we can have life and life eternal. Jesus says to those who believe in him in John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. My prayer is that we may know and trust and abide in the truth of Jesus that sets us free. Let us pray. Father God in heaven, we come before you acknowledging that you are the one true God. Lord, we come before you acknowledging the truth that we are sinners and that we need Jesus to save us, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you'd help us to examine our hearts knowing how we sin against you in lying in so many ways. We pray, Lord, that we would confess that we repent of these sins, knowing that you are able to wash away all our sins, that you are to cleanse us and to give us forgiveness and righteousness and the gift of eternal life. Lord, we thank you that you are the truth, the, the way, the only way to you. And we pray, Lord, that you'd help us to help others to know this truth as well. For it's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen.